Hello, I'm Ben Mainwaring from So Very Creative. And I'm Karen Williams from East Northamptonshire Council, and we're back with the latest in our special series of the Nen Valley Festival podcast. That's right, this time on the show we're getting a little bit technical with the team from Eldove International Festival. That's right, so it was a bit of a different looking festival for the guys this year, as they delivered this year's event completely online. So we're going to hear from Kenneth at the festival to share their experiences on how well it went. Before we get to that point though, probably time for us to turn this music down and crack on with the show. Hey there you guys and thanks for joining us again for another instalment of the Nem Valley Festival podcast and this week we're getting a little bit technical as we look at the idea of delivering a festival digitally. That's right, as you remember from social media and the news recently, this year's Andal International Festival had to switch things up this year and deliver the festival for 2020 entirely online. Yeah, we've seen lots of events around the world finding ways to try and recreate events in a digital format. Um, But I think this might be one of the largest I've seen on a local level. That's that's right. So the team worked really hard this year to find a way to deliver their festival um, as an online experience. And I'm really looking forward to hearing Kenneth's thoughts and experiences on how the festival all went. Yeah, we had a really interesting chat, actually. And I think one of the things people might take away from today's episode is actually how achievable it is to look at delivering events and whatnot online. Uh, The technology available now makes it really accessible for people to get involved with. And it's going to be so important as we move forward and people are looking to have to potentially deliver things in the face of further disruption or lockdown in the future. And before that, it seems like quite a good opportunity to mainly mention, Karen, the fact that the uh, current Nem Valley Festival itself isn't really taking place as it normally would this year. Obviously, we'd normally be out running around fields and country parks and churches and all sorts delivering events and whatnot for the festival, but uh, obviously not happening this year. What can you tell us about the, uh, the current plans and thinking for the Nem Valley Festival? I'm, I'm quite sad, actually, because, um, you know, the momentum that we, we've gained over the last six years, you know, we were all ready for this year's festival. We, all, we had massive plans for this year and of course um, because of Covid we had to make those early um, dis- uh, we had to make those early decisions that you know obviously when you are planning for a festival there is that lead in time where you have to advertise and sure. market yeah. and think about uh, producing a booklet so we, we had the early conversations with Nenscape who is our um, landscape partnership um, funder and obviously the money comes from Heritage Lottery okay. we had those early conversations um, and they were very supportive actually, we were okay. in difficult territory we've never been through this before um, so what we tried to do, they, they kind of recognised that my role had to change so it was more about business support as part of our economic de- uh, development team's response to Covid yeah. and although the festival isn't happening, what we wanted to do Um, because it's a quieter time of the year which is why we wanted to do the festival in September this is why I was quite keen to run webinars which we've done Um, you've helped us um, deliver some of those webinars the podcast as well is something else that I just wanted to see how we can support those businesses going forward um, what the com- the conversations that I've had with Heritage Lottery is that we will probably um, over the next month or so you'll find out more about a grant scheme that okay. I'm looking to roll out to actually help some of our event organisers. Oh, that's interesting. But I think it makes sense for us to look at that in 2021, given sure. the fact that with the COVID situation at the moment, a lot of the events are off for the back end of this year, and it yeah. makes it makes sense for people perhaps to look more virtually on how they promote themselves. And again, with you, Ben, we might be looking to deliver a webinar on how we can perhaps support our towns with Christmas events during the you know with, with the situation with COVID. 
So I'd like to see, uh, and my my um, what I wanted to present to Nenscape was, you know, we wanted to support some of those l- uh, smaller event organisers who are struggling in the current climate. Sure. They've had to, you know, pay for a lot of services and their event didn't happen this year. And I know that that's had a massive impact because they rely on the income this year to offset for next year. So a grant scheme where we can support those businesses, the event organisers on the local level is something that I'm keen to to progress and Heritage Lottery is very supportive of as well. Well, that sounds like it'll make a massive difference if that's uh, yes. something that can be uh, arranged and facilitated. And one of the things that I'm quite keen to do is... Um, perhaps have an event next year okay. because it's a shame not to um, keep that momentum going. Oh sure, well, it's been growing every year over the last kind of few years, even in the few years we've been working together on the project. Absolutely, so the idea is the, the normal home of a festival every September will still happen next September, Okay. but what we would like to do is, there is a fantastic um, Wendell Walk that happens in Wellingborough every year, it's an international festival we are doing more work with Wellingborough businesses these days, okay. and we're going to see how we can add value to the Wendell walk which um, invites overseas visitors to come and enjoy the local walks in Wellingborough okay. we're very fortunate that they're also going to be including walks in the Nen Valley area so we thought it was a great opportunity to perhaps just to add value to an existing event that has struggled and hasn't happened and not to reinvent the wheel it's all about supporting business so again looking at May a bank holiday where we can support those businesses is what we're looking at at the moment okay. but again it's all subject to Covid and what, what next spring will bring. Yeah and I mean I suppose you like to think looking optimistically may you'd say what that's what 15 16 months in you'd feel hopefully like yes. that's the stage where things are maybe a little more kind of stable and uh, and stuff but like you say it's also uncertain at the moment isn't it uh, yeah and i think the reality is um obviously visit um britain and visit england are running uh, uh, an autumn winter campaign to try and encourage people to go out and about etc sure but as we know the national picture changes every every minute yeah, um, yeah. we have to be a bit sensible so i think from an event organizer's point of view the best thing to do is to start planning from april next year sure it's not the best time but it does give people the time to take that step back and review what they're doing ask for the support change their business plans and hopefully we can guide them through for for next year well the idea is to gear up from spring next year really okay well before we get to our interview with kenneth then a couple of quick pieces of housekeeping from us uh firstly don't forget that in addition to this podcast series you can find a range of other business support materials and assets over on our website that's located at nenvalley.net slash business and while we're on the subject of social media, don't forget we're also sharing lots of great content over on our social media channels as well. So you can find out more content with us at underscore Nen Valley on Twitter, at Nen Valley on Instagram, and search for River Nen on Facebook. For now, though, we're going to crack on with our interview with Kenneth from the Andal International Festival. Ben, hello. Oh, hey there, Kenneth. Can you hear me all right at that end? Yes, I can. I'm just going to turn my volume up a bit. Uh, there we go. I think that's better. Beautiful. That's one hell of a microphone. Oh, yeah, no, it uh, it does the job, actually. Yeah, no, it's all right. Good morning. It's really great to connect with you, Kenneth. How are you doing? I know we've been yeah. to uh, touch base. I know, likewise. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really good to see you. How are things over there? Are you keeping well, staying safe? Yes, no, all's fine here. Uh, it's, you know, a very funny time, but you just sure. have to get on with it. Sure. Are you, um, are you back in the office, per se, at the minute, or are you still home working, or...? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, we basically, we've shut the office down. We've okay. given it up. Okay. As part of our fun, our um, way to save money and try and, try and survive. Okay. 
How have you found that, kind of spreading the team a bit more remotely and, and working perhaps a little more collaborative and, arm, and at arm's length? How have you found that process? Um, well, there's been a huge um, change in that we have basically uh, completely shut down. The team has been shut down. I've been shut down. Okay. Uh, you know, we've, we've just basically pulled every single horn in um, in order just to get through this period. Okay. So I don't know. Sorry? Sorry, I've lost you there for a moment. All right. So you, you broke up a little bit there. Yeah. No, we decided with the board that that was the only way to, to carry on. I'm okay. just keep it ticking over basically until uh, until things change sure uh, we obviously we've put in for a cultural recovery grant okay um which we should hear about by the 5th of october i think so okay so that'll soon. give you at least perhaps some certainty in the relative short term then oh if we get a cultural recovery grant then we're full steam ahead basically Perfect. okay are you optimistic uh, are you are you feeling uh, pretty wow. optimistic about that application I'm trying. I, you know, I think we put in a strong application. I think okay. where we are in the country is an area that is underserved by professional performances. Sure. Uh, so there's a reasonable chance, but to be honest, I think it's all pretty much a bit of a lottery. Fingers crossed. Perfect. Well, I wonder perhaps as, a, perhaps as a, an introductory starting point for our conversation then, Kenneth, I wonder if you um, would like to give us a quick uh, introduction and history as to uh, perhaps the, the festival, its wider kind of context in the area, and, um, and perhaps a little bit about the work that you do within that, Kenneth. Um, well, the, uh, the organisation, which is called currently called the Andal Music Trust, but in fact we are rebranding as Creative Andal. Okay. Uh, so Creative Andal started in 1985, and the inspiration for that was the installation of a new organ in Andal School Chapel. Okay. And it was decided to have a, what was, I think, really kind of a long weekend, yeah. um, a training course for young organists allied to performances um, and that grew, that happened one year in 1985, 1986, and so it carried on. And in fact, 2020 would have been the 35th anniversary. Wow. Um, and the object with the course, and it still remains so to this day, is that an organ course could happen anywhere there is an organ. Okay. The beauty of what we do it, uh, as a train, it's effectively our education and training wing, is that young organists who come to this training course are able to go to lots and lots of performances. So their musical horizons are expanded hugely. Okay. So the two work very much hand in hand. Okay. Um, and so the festival grew over time. Um, and we are anything between nine and 14 days, depending on the year, depending on what's available, depending, you know, lots of things, but the money as well, of course. Okay. Um, but as well as the festival and Andal for Organists, we also run Andal Cinema, which is effectively a community cinema. Okay. We run Andal Food Festival, which is a one year uh, an event that happens once a year. We close the centre of Andal Down and have about eighty different food stalls from around the Greater Northamptonshire, Lincolnshire, Leicestershire area, okay. um, and uh, have. But well, I think we reckon we have about five thousand people, blimey, in the day coming through Andal. Wow, 
So it's quite a diverse footprint that you've got then across the, the kind of the various events and different things that you're working on kind of all the way around the year. Yes, no, there is, there is something, we also do the occasional concerts as well. So, okay. you know, maybe an autumn concert, a spring concert. But the cinema is the thing that keeps us going more regularly throughout the year because we tend to do one film, we're kind of looking at one film a month, really. Okay. Um, so, but that keeps an audience kind of ticking over and keeps us in touch with an audience. Sure. Okay. And and how about yourself, Kenneth? What's your kind of role within that organisation? What kind of work are you kind of doing on a day-to-day basis? Um, well, I'm the artistic director. Uh, so my job is to basically set the artistic agenda, to uh, programme the festival, uh, choose the artists, uh, shape it, uh, and and, um, and work with you know, the board and the staff to, to make it happen. Okay. And I know, obviously, um, <coughs> sorry, I'm coughing at this end. That's the kids going back to school. I've got, I've got oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. three days of them being back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously, um, this year's festival uh, obviously ended up being delivered in a, a fairly different way to, to previous years, obviously, with people being unable to kind of visit in person and for that festival to be delivered in the traditional way. Um, where, whereabouts were you in the kind of the planning and, and the, the kind of preparation process when, when kind of lockdown happened and, uh, and, and you took the decision to, to cancel the, the traditional festival that it was and to switch the focus of it this year? How kind of close to the event were you? Uh, well, the festival itself would have been in July. Uh, we had already launched the festival. Okay. Uh, we had a successful launch in February. Um, the brochure... <laughs> was uh, was printed and distributed. Sure. Uh, and tickets were selling. Uh, there was a really good reception. People liked the programme. Uh, tickets were selling well. I was going to say, were you anticipating and, it being a real big year with it being the 35th anniversary? Yeah. Yes. We weren't pushing the 35th anniversary particularly because, you know, okay. it's number. I think we'd, we'd be saving our fire for 40, really. Sure. But, you know, but you know, it was it was shaping up to be a, be a really good year. And then it became clear, I suppose, mid-March that things were not going quite as one would like. Yeah. Uh, just in generally in, throughout the country and throughout the world. Um, but then when it became clear that lockdown was going to happen, ticket sales dried up instantly. Sure. It sure. absolutely stopped. Um, and it was clear that we had there was no way that we were going to be able to have a festival. So we took the decision at that point to cancel everything okay. until at least the end of this year, okay. uh, which obviously included the festival and the organists and uh, the food festival, but also the cinema. Sure. So we decided not to even think about doing an autumn season. Okay. Um, and so that then entailed, you know, having to go to people, go to the other. It really is very hard as an artistic director when you have been, you know, talk to the people about their programmes, ask them to come and perform and do, go through all that process and then to have to ring them up and say, sorry, we're cancelling everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I know I'm, I've not been alone in doing that, but none of us find that easy. I can't because imagine they were very yeah, comfortable conversations to no. have. I know, because you, you're talking about not just people's livelihoods, not just about their income, but it's about their, um, you know, their being. That's what they do. They, they perform uh, 
their performers. And sure. when you take away that as well, uh, it's, a, it's a huge thing. Yeah, absolutely. So we um, we just basically did, did had to do that. There was no choice. And then we had to look at the, what could we do to... Because without the box office income, uh, we had... That, which is a huge part of our, our turnover. No, of course. Um, we had to decide how we could survive. Um, so at that point, we decided the most obvious thing to do would be to to give up our office because that was the biggest outlay okay. uh, over the year. Uh, so we were able to do that. Uh, we then had to make staff redundant. Right. We were a small team. We were, we were a small team of of um, five. Sure. It sounds like um, a very difficult period all the way around. Yeah. I mean, it, it was hard for it. It has been hard for everybody. Um but we you know we we also run a little box office because we sell our own tickets, but we also sell tickets for other people. Okay. So we had to close the box office down. So we lost our box office manager. We lost our Andrew for organist administrator, and and so on. So, um, not an easy time. No. And so, obviously, you, from what I understand, then you did, um, you, you were able to deliver some kind of events and stuff virtually and, and kind of online, as it were, in in kind of lieu of that festival this summer. Is that right? Yes. I mean, I, when after the initial shock, I mean, you, I suppose, just thinking back, it was a huge shock. Sure. Uh, and kind of once we got over that, I started to think about what we might do just to keep in touch with our audience. Um, I suppose go, before going into that, actually, I should say we then, of course, had to we had some box office income. Okay. We had to offer refunds. We, of course, along with everybody, did the same. You know, we offered refunds, but said if you are able to think about making it a donation, course. Um, then we'd be really grateful because that will help keep the organisation going. Uh, about that, about a third of our patrons decided that they would do that. Okay, well, that's good. That was pretty significant. Uh, uh, it's some really presumably really helped in the short term yes and i think in in the long term as well because it's given it's there's a basis on which we can actually it's like a down payment on a future festival basically sure um, so as the, the weeks moved on i was thinking what we should do is have some kind of virtual presence okay. um, and the idea was i was going to just curate the events using existing videos of uh, the performers who would have been in the festival. Okay. At that point, an anonymous donor got in touch and said, I'd like to give you some money to be able to commission some things for a virtual festival. Oh, wow. That's like dream world scenario. Uh, it was, it was, you know, it was quite out of the blue. And it's somebody I know well uh, and uh, who is very, um, was very conscious that performers were losing their livelihoods. And it was in a, a small way of being able to actually pay a few people just to do something uh, to keep Amazing. their professional uh, work going. Wow. Uh, and so I decided. That I would do. I would commission some things, but uh, what I wanted also to do, and it's still something I want to do when we get back to up and running for a proper festival, as it were, is to connect with 
um, more with families. Okay. We do. We have a family event that we do every year, which is uh, outdoor theatre. But I think we can do more to connect with families and perhaps younger kids, you know, you know mums and dads with three, four-year-olds at home. I think there's a way of doing something. Um, uh, and so I decided one way of perhaps doing that online was to do to commission Joe Blake Cave. I don't know if you know Joe Blake. She's uh, a storyteller. Okay. Uh, who is Northamptonshire based, and she okay. had done something for us previously. Okay. Uh, so I talked to Jo, and she came up with this idea uh, of doing a five-part story. But I like I like the idea of doing something that would kind of link the days of the festival together. Sure. So we decided if we did something something each day that would be launched at a specific time each day. So Jo came up with a story, a five-episode story. Okay. Uh, and each they were each about ten minutes long. Um, and aimed at, at at families, and and there was a task at the end of each story for everybody to do. Okay. Uh, for, before the next, next story. Now that sounds really cool. I think so, presumably really accessible for kids and and families that yes. might not want to or might not be able to perhaps take you know the whole family or all the kids for practicality reason or whatnot to to the theatre or something like that. Maybe perhaps absolutely, it makes it a little yeah. bit more accessible for them as well. Yeah. yeah. And it's still on the website. All the virtual festival is... We, we posted things specifically on each day, so there was something new happening each day okay. during what would have been the festival period. But we left it all on, on the, the website, so it's still there for people to see. Okay. And how did you find that process of, of kind of delivering a, kind of a, a virtual representation of that event online? I know there's a lot of people, obviously, kind of with one eye on Christmas events and thinking how they can maybe look at doing their own uh, kind of live experiences over the coming months with one eye on, you know, disruption and social distancing and stuff. Um, how was that kind of process technically? Was it, was it kind of a, a bit of a minefield for you guys or did you actually find it was quite a, an easy, accessible kind of space to work with? Um, it was actually fairly straightforward. I mean, I, I, I'm fairly tech savvy, and I, I occasionally do some website design as well. So I suppose that makes it a bit easier. But actually, if you if, if you watch YouTube, you can actually easily set up a YouTube channel. Yeah, you can broadcast live on YouTube if you want, and on Facebook and other things. But you want that, which actually just looking forward is something I'd want to do when we okay. actually have a, a real festival to actually live stream things as well. Okay. Um, but actually setting up the channel was very straightforward. Um, the thing that I decided was that nothing should be too long. Okay. Because I think people interact with online material in a different way from the way they do in a concert hall. Because you come to a concert you expect you fans much shorter, yes, isn't it? Absolutely. And you get interrupted by uh, things happening, the kettle, the you know, the phone, the doorbell. Um, so I think everything, nothing was much longer than about 10 minutes. Okay. Uh, but we had about three or four different things happening each day. So there was about half an, let's say, half an hour to 40 minutes worth of material each day. Okay. But in, in different segments that you could watch at your leisure. Um, the other important thing was I thought it was important for the commission videos for the performers to introduce themselves and what they were going to do. Okay. 
to actually personalise it. Yeah, yeah. Because it's all very well just throwing up a video of somebody singing or playing, but it needs to be more than that. It needs to be somebody needs to say this. I'm doing this because I, I'm who I am, and this is what how I perform, and, and this is what I'm going to do for you. Um, it was also interesting to get them to introduce it from where they were and explain why they were there. Okay. One, spring, one immediately springs to mind, which was um, uh, Marcus Walker, who's a, a tenor, and he was he's a young tenor who was coming to do a lunchtime recital, and he actually did his recording in St Mary's Cathedral in Glasgow. Oh, wow. Accompanied by his dad, who happens <laughs> to be the director of music there. Wow. So that was kind of really quite interesting. There was somebody doing that there. Yeah. Uh, Melvin Tan, the great concert pianist, did one for us. He was going to be doing something at Bowton House. Okay. Uh, uh, and as it happened, the circumstances were such that he happened to be going to Bowton House for a meeting wow. with the Duke with the Duke to talk about future projects. Okay. And when the Duke found out about the fact that Melvin was going to be recording something for us, he, he said, well, why not do it at Bowton, oh, wow. where you were going to have been doing it? So he recorded it where he would have done the recital in the first place. So you can, there are lots of interesting ways you can actually make connections, which aren't just somebody sitting in their front room doing something. Absolutely. And it sounds like... on an angle. Yeah, it sounds like you managed to find actually some really unique kind of experiences and really unique setups that perhaps uh, in the ordinary order of business, you perhaps maybe wouldn't have been able to achieve or to be able to um, kind of open up for people to be able to, to kind of access and be a part of those moments. So it sounds like actually you were able to um, maybe broaden the scope perhaps a little bit and, and give it a really unique edge uh, this year. I think it's important to find it's a unique selling point, basically, isn't it? That's what yeah. you're, you're always looking for. Um, uh, which is why, having gone through that experience with the virtual festival, um, it made me think about, well, if we can do that, it's very straightforward. What we need to get is a much better microphone, like the one that you've got. Um, <laughs> um, but to actually live stream things, if we do a lunchtime recital, for example, uh, as we would normally do, why not make that available to people who aren't able to come to yeah. the recital? Because there may be people who are stuck at home, uh, elderly people who just can't get out anymore. Uh, why not open it up to the community in well, a way that we couldn't previously? Yeah, well, I suppose it's interesting you use that word community because I suppose the other thing it does is open the festival up to a whole world of people that, um, that wouldn't geographically be able to, to potentially make it as well. Well, I've got, absolutely. And the great thing was that there were lots of people, lots of particularly my friends around the world, who actually tuned into the virtual festival. Okay. Uh, because they were able to, whereas they wouldn't have been able to come to the physical festival. Okay. And how was that? What's the reaction been like so far that you've had from, I guess, from performers and from, from people that were, you know, um, watching the streams and, and taking part in the festival from that side? How was the reaction to, to what you were able to deliver this year? The reaction was great. I mean, okay. lots of people got in touch to say how much they'd enjoyed it, how it gave them something to replace what would have... They would, you know, they'd normally be going out, yeah. a lunchtime recital, an evening recital, a late night something. None, none of that was happening, but it, what we were doing by way of the virtual festival enabled them to connect. Okay. So it was... 
I was I was really quite quite moved by the reaction, to be honest, okay. because you know, people often say after after a concert, oh that was great, thank you, great show, fine, and then off they go. Whereas this, people were actually writing and ringing up. Oh wow! Obviously, it, it touched people in a way that was quite different from the, the normal run of events. Sure. Well, I suppose that almost those kind of going out and seeing a recital and something in the normal order of business, it's just something I did during the day, you know, and it was, it's kind of nice and it was a good part of the day, but it's, I suppose it's part of that overall uh, pattern of the day. I suppose when people are literally just sitting in one or two rooms all day and can't get out or, or do anything, I suppose things like this actually provide a much bigger, uh, bigger role, you know, in terms of providing, you know, yeah. something to do something to focus the mind on some distraction. And, and as you say, that connection with people, that um, especially with the performers in the way that you were describing, that perhaps they wouldn't have ordinarily been able to if, if they had have just been popping by. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it, it's I think because people were desperate at that point as well for things to just try and remind them what life is like or can be like. Yeah. And tell me, what are your kind of preparations looking like at the moment for for twenty twenty one? I guess we're we're kind of somewhere. Uh, I guess what about two thirds of the way out from from July next year at the moment. What what kind of stage are you at in terms of your kind of planning and preparation? Where do you think the festival is going to be at uh, this time next year? Um, I basically have a pro a festival programmed for next year, okay. ready to go. Um, whether it can go is another matter because you know <laughs> with the change that's happened just this last 24 hours with an admission that the new regulations that we're under are going to last for probably at least six months mm -hmm. it's really hard to know at what point we could reasonably make a commitment sure uh because you know six months will take us through to what february mm, yes give or take from now yeah uh, yes, we, we can pull something off fairly quickly once we are able to. But there's also the question of being able to judge whether the audience will be comfortable, even in a socially distanced environment, yeah. coming into a, a, a gathering that is larger than any of us have been to for a long time. Yeah. Do your kind of plans at the moment include a certain degree of the virtual online stuff from this year? Are you anticipating that playing a big role in, in how you deliver it next year for one reason or another? Well, I think certainly live streaming will will, will be part of it. I think we really have to, to... It's so easy to do. You know, you kind of discover that you, we never thought about it because it never, you didn't really figure yeah. until this year and then you kind of realize how simple it is i think you a lot just of pick up the, that journey this year yes you do you use your telephone and and you can get you know, these very very good quality visuals less good quality sound but with a decent microphone then you know you can you can achieve a lot yeah no, I'd, I'd agree, definitely. So it's, it sounds like almost actually by adding that extra kind of facet to the festival moving forward, it sounds like um, almost for, for having a, a pretty difficult challenging year this year, the festival will be able to, to kind of go off on a, a new footing next year, perhaps as some kind of hybrid of the two that actually sees the festival reaching even bigger audiences and an even wider audience than perhaps they would have done normally. Yes, no, that's absolutely true. But there is a kind of caveat that we're all having to face now is 
how do you and can we monetize any of that? Yeah. Because you people still have to be paid. Sure. Were you able to monetize the events this year at all, or was it largely underwritten by the, the donation that you referenced? It was, it was underwritten. Okay. Um, and I know, you know, the National have been doing uh, some events, which are some uh, streams which are paid for. Okay. Uh, the Met, Covent Garden have been doing stuff that has paid for, but it's like three, four, five pounds you know, it's not it's not big sums of money. Whereas, you know, if you were doing a concert, you'd be looking an evening concert, for example, you'd maybe be looking at a 25, 20, 25 pound ticket price. Yeah, the margins are not so different, aren't they? Yes. So, is there a way that we can do both? So we can have a you know, if you experience it live in the room with the performer, that's one thing. If you have it online, that's another one, and and it's and it's cheaper. Yeah, like a, a tiered pricing approach almost. Yes, yes. Okay. But also without actually not without not without losing the audience that you would need in the concert hall or the theatre uh, to make the, the the money work. Okay. And do you think we mentioned obviously um, you know the restrictions it, it looks like could be in place for you know five six months? Will you utilise that full kind of six month window before you make any kind of firm decisions on what to do next year, or are you uh, kind of preparing to, to hedge your bets one way or the other, perhaps a little earlier than that? Um, I think given that I'm pretty much fully programmed for 2021. On the assumption that we can go ahead, okay. Um, I think the next few months are going to be ones where we kind of want to really do some serious thinking about the future and what we are as an organisation and how we develop. Um, so we will use the time, but not for programming because that's kind of done. It's a kind of it's a more in depth thinking about what we are sure i suppose it's um a, a similar um process a lot of kind of arts organizations and stuff are having to to reckon with at the moment isn't it is how do we kind of reconfigure all of this to uh to work in a slightly different way yes and in fact for a lot of arts organizations how can we how can we indeed can we actually survive because uh, without some, you know, when the cultural recovery grant funds are announced, there will be organisations that have funding and they'll be able to go ahead. Yeah. Those organisations who don't get it most likely will simply fold. I was going to say, will it will it be a, a, a terminal thing for a lot of the businesses that, that aren't successful there? Do you think? I think it will be. It's very sad, but I think it, really it will is. be. Man. <laughs> bleak times there's a fairly downbeat note to end things on i know well let's uh, let's not do that let's uh, let's uh, let's end things on a much more positive note because obviously you did mention that uh, all of the amazing stuff that you put together for this year's festival is still available online for people to um, to kind of check out and and get involved with now um perhaps uh, you could give us a, a quick rundown as to where people can find all of that content your your website all your social media links stuff like that um, it's all, it is indeed all on the website. Uh, it's oundallfestival.org.uk. Okay. Um, and all the social media links are, are there on the homepage. I, can say, I know you're on kind of Twitter, Facebook, places like that and stuff. Yeah. 
and Instagram as well. Sorry, and YouTube, you say as well. Yes, the the stuff, that we're, all the stuff that's is all the virtual festival material is on our homepage, uh, and that's all on our YouTube channel. Okay, and is there a way for for people to show their support for the festival? You mentioned obviously the ability for people to to turn their their previous tickets into donations and stuff. Are you doing any kind of the fundraising or, or kind of patron scale? Oh, like that? well, yes. No, at the moment we have a support button on associated with the virtual festival. So if people feel that they can make a donation of some kind, then they click the button. Perfect. And there's a link from that on the website as well. Yeah, there is absolutely. Yeah, perfect. And there's a big purple button. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to put a link to that in the show notes of this episode and stuff so that when people have got it in their podcast apps, they can click through and, uh, and hopefully find out a little bit more, maybe uh, make a few donations and stuff along the way as well. But um, Yeah, that'd be yeah. great. Thank you. Also, really interesting uh, chatting with you, Kenneth, and finding out a little bit more how it all went. I think people will be really um, kind of reassured, I think, a bit by your kind of experiences and find out that perhaps it's not as uh, as, as scary a prospect as, as people perhaps um, envisaged getting involved. It's not. No, it just basically, plunge. I think people should, should just do it. I mean, just go ahead and, and do it and have fun doing it as well. Was it a fun process for you? You wouldn't look back on it as like a real, oh my God, do you remember that two weeks we were trying to do the festival online? Is it definitely something that you guys uh, wouldn't be averse to repeating? Oh, particularly having had gone through the process of having to cancel everything, to then being able to ring up somebody and say, would you like to do something for a virtual festival? And actually I can give you some money for doing it. I'm not asking you to do this for free. was just amazing. I can say it must have been a much nicer conversation to have with people. Absolutely, it was great. And presumably made a big difference as well to all of those performers that had been sat without work for, uh, or, or really any kind of assistance or help for for quite a long time as well. I think it just gave people a sense of, yeah, what I do is worth something. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was about self-worth, I think. Absolutely. I think there's a, there's been a bit of a kind of a lifting of the veil, I think, in that regard. And there's a few people this year perhaps been reassessing and thinking a little bit about the creative industries and the... Uh, yeah. The entertainment industry is a little bit, you know, and realizing actually yeah. what a big part of the kind of the cultural landscape those people and the work that they do um, kind of make up, you know. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed for your um, your grant application. Uh, Thank in you. A few weeks time, please do uh, keep us posted with, uh, with with your news. And if it's uh, fingers crossed, it's good news. We can obviously make sure we amplify that through the uh, the Nen Valley channels and stuff. Yeah, good. Meantime, yeah, really appreciate your time, Kenneth, this morning. Thank you very Great. much. Thanks, Ben. Everybody, and I'll um, look forward to catching up with you soon. Catch up soon. Thanks. Cool. Thanks, man. Take Bye. Care. Have a great day. Bye. 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 There we go. That's our show for this time. A very big thank you for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, and a big thank you to Kenneth at Andal International Festival for taking the time to join us as well. Do be sure to check out the festival online to find out more about this year's event and indeed the plans for next year currently taking shape as well. So we'll be back with another episode of the podcast very shortly. But in the meantime, don't forget you can also find out more about all the business support materials and resources available to our friends and businesses all over the Nen Valley on our dedicated mini site. So head over to browse the information on nenvalley.net forward slash business. And don't forget you can also connect with us all over social media as well. Look for us at at underscore nenvalley on Twitter, at nenvalley on Instagram, and find us at RiverNen on Facebook. For now though, take care out there wherever you are listening to us. Stay safe and we look forward to joining you back here next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.